to the Let's Talk Purity podcast with Richard and Brittany De La Mora. Purity isn't just for singles, it's for everyone. It's not just for a season of life, it's a lifestyle. So join us as we redefine purity. And now, your hosts, Richard and Brittany. Thank you so much for tuning into the Let's Talk Purity podcast with Richard and Brittany Delamora. We're so excited that you guys are here today. Um, we have a very special guest who I'm so excited to introduce. Her name is Hope Carpenter. I'm going to read you a little bit about her story and then um, we'll bring her on our show. When this story hit the media, it spread like wildfire. A pastor's wife was caught in an adulterous cheating scandal, and this is what the tabloids live for. Very rarely do we see the aftermath. In Hope's new book, The Most Beautiful Disaster, Hope Carpenter peels back the layers and opens up her heart to share her brokenness, disaster, and eventual healing in the hopes that she can help others before they get to the point where she was. Hope Carpenter is the co-founder of Redemption Church, a mega church that started in Greensville, South Carolina. The church has satellite locations in San Jose, California, Raleigh, North Carolina, and the Dominican Republic. With that being said, we are so excited to welcome Pastor Hope Carpenter with us today on the Come Let's Talk on. Purity podcast. So good to be here. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah. And thank you for being with us. We're so excited to share your story with our audience. Um, and so today I would just love for you to just share your story. You can start from the beginning and, um, just share where you are now and, and what Jesus did for you and your healing journey. Well, you know, spoiler alert, here I am. <laughs> we made it. Yes. We have been married 31 years Come this year. On. And uh, been in ministry 30. This is our 30th year in ministry. And, mm -hmm. you know, I could just cry at my, whew, I well up thinking about just the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And, you know, in our, our worst moments, our, our broken moments, our terrible mm -hmm. moments, you know, he doesn't love us any less. He loves us just the same. Uh, in our greatest days, he doesn't love us anymore. And, He's so faithful to us and, and he is not like people, you know, mm -hmm. he, he, he's there just waiting, just waiting to wrap his arms around us and love us back into the fold. And, and I, that's what I've given my life to is, you know, just to be there for hurting, broken, real people in real life situations. You know, it's not about a big platform. It's not about how many followers you have, or, you know, how many people are sitting in your pews. My whole goal after we've been through what we've been through is, yeah, you're sitting in our pews and we have thousands sitting there, but is your life changing? Come on. Are you becoming more like Jesus every single day? Because, you know, I was in ministry. I was a pastor's wife and I was sitting in those pews myself. I was ministering to people on a platform, holding a microphone and I was broken. Yes. I, I was I was leading with limps and and just a mask on my face and just hurt and anxiety in my heart and just wondered, you know, when's when's the day I'm gonna lose it? When's the day I'm gonna crack up? And it happened because mm. I was so broken. Yeah. 
but did not know how to get fixed because I had been taught for so long that, you know, you just come down to the altar and you get prayed for and you shamalama ding dong. Hey, come on. (laughs) And you fall out and you get back up and, you know, everything should be fine now. And I've seen many, 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 many transformations at an altar. And I am not discounting that at all. I love altar services. I, I love to minister to people at the altar. But there's so much more to our healing. There's so much more to becoming more like Jesus than just getting our salvation card, you know, our our get out of hell pass, you know, you know, I think that's just the door. Jesus is just the door accepting Jesus. The only thing that changes in us when we become saved, when we ask Jesus into our heart is that our spirit man comes alive. That's the only thing that changes. And And we don't talk about this. We think that everything's new. And yes, it is in our spirit, man. But our mind is still the same. It still thinks the same. It still can do the same. My body can do the same things it did five minutes before I got saved. I still have those carnal fleshly desires, the abuse I've been through, the trauma I've witnessed. All of that is still there. And, Um, And I think the church has done a terrible job at teaching people how to come out of darkness yeah. and into this light, this, this amazing John 10, 10, this, this abundant life yeah. that Christ says that we can have. And that's why people hide. Mm. That's why people live in shame is because they hear the good news, but they have no idea how to implement it. That's so and funny. that was my life. And so to go all the way back, I won't take, this will take all day. So we don't have time yeah. to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is the book. You got to get the book. Yes, but, you got to um, get the book. A beautiful disaster. You on. have to get her book. We're going to have <laughs> the, the, the logo for you guys here. Awesome. So I was raised in a Christian home. Um, so this is where it gets kind of like, how did this happen? You know, I was raised right. A uh, little girl in a Southern Baptist church got set there. And I really, really did love Jesus. I was that little girl, eight, nine years old, who read the Bible and who, who, you know, sang the Christian songs and wanted to be in the choir and went to vacation Bible school and really loved it. And, you know, memorized my scriptures. And then my parents got filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we started going to the Pentecostal Holiness Church, got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was um, 12 years old. Um, but then, but then I was raped when I was 15 on a first date, but because I was raised in such a very, very, very strict home, I'm talking about so strict that you would probably go to jail today for how, (laughs) you know, you punish your children, those types of situations where everything was wrong and just, uh, just very harsh discipline. And let's just leave it at that. Um, so it, I had a lot of trauma growing up and I was filled with anxiety. And so it set up lying patterns in me because mm-hmm. what do children do when they don't want to get in trouble? They lie. Yeah, it's true. And so those patterns, unbeknownst to me, were coming all into my teenagehood and into my young adulthood and um, didn't tell my parents that I was raped. So I stuffed that trauma, never got any help for uh-huh. that. Then the, then the crazy mind games that the devil will play with you. Like, well, was I really raped? Yeah. You know, was that really what it was about? I, I, I wasn't beat up and I wasn't bleeding and, you know, but I didn't want this to happen. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know how to explain it. 
then I met this wonderful guy, Ron Carpenter. Hey, um, whoo, I just thought, man, you know, I've just died and gone to heaven. He's the cutest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You know, he's got this long blonde hair and it's flapping in the wind and these rosy cheeks and, and he's going to be a preacher. And my mom always told me, she said, hope you're going to marry a preacher one day. And I said, mama, I am not marrying a fat, ugly preacher. <laughs> and so that was all I knew because that's what my pastors were, you know, just these yeah. big old men. And I was like, I'm not doing that. So when I told her that Ron was going to be a preacher, she said, I told you you were going to marry a preacher. I said, well, uh, he, I said, he ain't fat and he ain't ugly. Hey, <laughs> so, I said, so Jesus loves me more than anybody. <laughs> but I had no idea, Brittany, that what had happened up until that time mm. that I was taking that with me? I thought that I was changing my last name and changing my address and everything was going to be better and different. Right. I didn't know that everything that had happened to me, that I'd been a part of the environment that I grew up in, had really done that much damage and had really affected me so adversely. So I marry Ron and we go into ministry and, you know, we both love the Lord and love people and want to help people. And then, then these feelings just continue. I, I ended up in the hospital with wow. uh, a lot of issue, health issues. Mm -hmm. I had several surgeries in the year 2000, I almost died with an internal bleeding. Ron found me in the wow. middle of the night, almost dead. My blood pressure was 60 over 30. And wow. uh, they told him in the ambulance, they said, she's probably not going to make it. And in just attack, attack, attack over my life. And at 35, I woke up one day and I said, I just can't live like this anymore. And mm. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I just knew this pressure cooker on the inside of me that had been building for years. And then the more weight and pressures of ministry and the perfect being the perfect wife and the perfect mother and, mm. you know, working three jobs. So Ron wouldn't have to work any and just the performing, 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 performing. And I yeah. just blah you know, just collapsed and just, yeah. I can't do it anymore. And I remember that day, people laugh at me when I tell this story, but I, I woke up that day and I went out and did three things. I bought a bikini. Hey. Ooh. <laughs> you were living life on the edge. Oh, listen, <laughs> I had lost my mind. Really? I, um, I bought three secular CDs hey. Ooh. and I went and bought a six pack of beer and wow. I, yeah, right. Going to hell. For me, it was, I mean, yeah. because in our world, none of those things were acceptable. Right. Whatsoever. Right. You know, remember we're in the South, we're on the East coast, not the West coast, hey, yeah. come on. you know, <laughs> so it's really different. So I went to our lake house and I sat that day and I put that Hawaiian tropic all over me and it felt so good and smelled so good. And I drank that beer and literally for the first time, really in a, that I could ever remember, it felt so good and it felt mm. so free. Yeah. Um, because for many reasons, there were some spiritual reasons and some, you know, just natural reasons. And I do discuss this in the book that for the first time in my life, I was really experiencing what you call, what they call individuation. Right. Wow where I was, where I was making a choice for me 
good or bad. It's that what you do is at 12, 13, 14, you know, touching your fingers to the stove, so to speak, and getting burned, learning your lessons then, which I didn't have the opportunities to do because, you know, I didn't get to go to sock cops or dances or parties or, you know, everything was rules, 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 rules. Yeah. So I started that process at 35 years old. Wow. And so when you're held back, it's almost like I describe it in counseling now, like when you're held back and held back, it's like that um, rubber band, you hold it back and hold it back and hold it back. But when you eventually let it go, it overshoots. Yes. And that is what I was doing. Mm. Um, I was just kind of sticking the bird up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. To everybody in my life and all the rules in my life. Like, you know, I'm going to figure this out. I'm 35 years old. I can decide. I can say. And in the process was nine long years of living a double life, hurting so many people, man. It breaks my heart even today. It's been years, you know, almost 10 years and since I came clean with my husband, but it's still very painful to mm-hmm. think how I hurt people in my family and my husband and my church and in the name of the Lord, you know, because I was a leader, how people looked to me and, and we let people down and mm-hmm. it was just very painful, but the journey back, man, I was so broken. I was at yeah. the lowest place in my life. And in 2013, I just could not live that way anymore. Imagine the pressure I felt up until then, but then the pressure mounting on me from living a double life, somebody who really loves Jesus. And, you know, that's really the only thing that kept me sane Mm. is that at the end of the day, I didn't know a lot of things. And I was trying to figure out life and figure out who am I and what's right and what's wrong. And, but at the end of the day, I love Jesus. And that was my saving grace that, you know, I knew I was wrong. I knew I was doing wrong, but no one had told me how to get out of it. Mm. None of these preachers, none of nobody preaches this, you know, yeah. it's just like you get saved and straighten up. Yeah. 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 So what there's no that, guideline. What did that process of uh, restoration look like for you? Brittany, it was so beautiful. Tell us it about was, it. Yeah. Listen, I felt like I did when I was eight years old. Yeah. And that when I met Jesus, yes, that's uh, so I really feel like I met him all over again. Yeah. I, I pulled out of my house in October of 2013 and my husband, when I came to him and came clean and told him, you know, just everything he suspected because we'd been going through hell and fighting and mm-hmm. it was just bad because, you know, he was like, where's my wife? This is yeah. not my wife. And I had believed so many lies from the enemy telling me, maybe that's not your life. Maybe this is your life. Maybe this is why you are doing what you're doing and you feel relief when you're doing it. And, Mm -hmm. oh, just the strongholds in my mind. And when I came to him and confessed, he said, you got 30 minutes, get your stuff and get out. Wow. Now that was huge for me because Ron was perfect to me. Ron was um, even in being unfaithful, I loved my husband, yeah. you know, I truly loved this man. And, uh, I thought when I came to him and told him he was going to be wrap his arms around me and we're going to fix this and, mm. you know, everything's going to be okay. And, and it didn't play out like that, but truthfully, it was the most beautiful thing that could have happened to me. And mm. that's why I wrote the book, the most beautiful disaster, because I had nothing. 
Yeah. You know, all these thousands of people in our church and Ron's on this worldwide TV platform. And, and I pull out of my house in a Range Rover mm-hmm. and Louis Vuitton luggage mm-hmm. and have nobody. Wow. And that day, you know, it really, it really hit me so hard. It was very painful to go through my phone and say, you know, I have nobody to call because everybody in our life, we pastored or we mentored or we were over or we wrote their paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, of course, was going to be on Ron's side, not mine. I was the one that was wrong. And uh-huh. But then I remembered this ministry in North Carolina that we sent all the other crazy people to, all the other, bro- <laughs> you know, all That's the other hilarious. broken people, you know, the <laughs> island of broken people, yeah. you know, when in reality, we're all broken, we're exactly. all in need of a savior, but exactly. in church, you know, we, we have these perfect people and we have these broken people. So, um, which is just a joke, but, um, I said, you know, we have, to, I have, we have this place I'm going to call them. So I, I picked up the phone and I called them and I told them what had happened just briefly. And I said, I just need a bed. I need somewhere to come. I said, I don't want any ministry. Yeah. I just, I need somewhere to just lay down tonight. And they did. And they opened their arms to me and such a rare breed of people who can just love you in your mess, you know, just, yeah. just love you like Jesus does. And they cooked for me and ministered to me. And the next morning she came in and she, she's this little short woman, just most amazing woman I've ever met. And she came in with her little sweater and she said, well, are you ready to get busy? Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I don't know. I I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with me. You know, why would I get busy? Nobody's ever going to want to hear from me again. Nobody, nobody cares. You know, Mm -hmm. I could go to Miami and sell margaritas on the beach in my bikini. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I found this love for this bikini. And so, you know, no, what should I do? But that I I just had a crossroads right there. I was like at a crossroads and I thought, you know, this is the greatest time. I have no one to impress. I have no sermon to prepare. I can't go home. Why not dig my heels in right here and get to the root of why I ended up where I ended up? You know, Oprah has written this amazing book and, and I can't remember the name It's um, uh, somebody help me. Oprah's new book. Um, it's it, instead of saying, uh, why did you do what you did? Yeah. Basically, that's the sum of it. She asked the questions, what happened to you? I think that's yeah. the, the title of it. What happened to mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. So eye-opening. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what I did. I dug my heels in and I got to the root of not why you did what you did, mm. but what happened to you. Yeah. And so we went all the way back. Wow. And we went all the way back. Yeah, it is. I believe that every adult problem is an unresolved child problem. Absolutely. You know, because everything we learn in in the functions of our brain and our emotional well-being is all framed in in childhood. It's all framed in how we were loved and what we did and didn't get. And Mm. so we dug all the way back. And and I'm not saying um, I've been criticized for saying that by saying, oh, she blames what she did on her parents. Absolutely not. I've never done that one time. But 
there are contributing factors yeah, you know, that lead to why we do what we do. Absolutely. And so I, my parents came into to counseling with me. Eventually, my family came into mm. counseling. And now my parents and I have the best relationship we've ever had. Beautiful. I mean, they're they're just some of the most wonderful people to me. They've we've cried, we've confessed, we've laughed, we've fought, but we dug in and we were committed to get to the root of family issues and yeah. and generational curses and things that they never told us that were going on in our family that led to a lot of the things that I dealt with. Yeah. So a lot of healing, a, a lot of counseling. I believe in it. We're body, soul, and spirit, and you know we go to the physical doctor, if we have a heart problem or we break our arm, but we don't want to go to anybody for our soulish man, our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect, which is what, what leads us, what guides us. The word of God has strict instructions about our mind Mm -hmm. and what we think about and where we place our thoughts and what we fix our mind on. But the church doesn't want to talk about that. Yeah. That's good. I believe there's this big gaping hole that we're missing in our holistic approach to becoming more like Jesus. You know, I read the Bible. I listened to Christian music. I wasn't allowed to listen to any other music. You know, I listened to it all. Yeah. Uh, All Christian music, read only Christian books, read the Bible all day long, but I was still broken. Yeah. Well, you still had that unresolved trauma. And so long as you hold on to trauma, you can't get healing. And too often as Christians, we want to brush it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. Oh, that didn't happen. God is good. Yes, God is good. But if you leave your trauma down there, then it's going to eventually boil over. And like a broken heart will always make broken decisions. And that's what you had. You had a broken heart in life. And so you were making decisions based on the condition of your heart. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. I want to know when you, uh, when you and Ron started working things out, what did that process look like? The healing in your marriage and, and it you was guys ugly. Were... Yeah. <laughs> tell us about that. It was because so ugly today. Like you may have a messed up marriage, but there is hope there's freedom and there's healing in Jesus. So talk to there us. About is. That. There is such hope and there is such freedom and there is not anything that is too difficult for God. Amen. But it's not quick and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of work. Yeah, and um, I don't think anything in life that's worth anything comes easy. Yeah. Um, you know, I can say all day, I hate this cellulite on my thigh. Yeah. <laughs> Thighs and butt, all of it. So I can say all day, I hate this cellulite. But if I'm not willing to get up and do the hard work and to push my plate back and to get up and go to the gym, I really don't hate it. 
Yeah. yeah you know, it's so this, and it's the same way w- with our lives. You know, we can say we hate it and we want a better marriage or we want to get out of debt or we, but if we're not willing to do the hard work and the hard work takes time and, and mm-hmm. like going to the gym, it hurts. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, nobody likes to get up early and nobody likes to sweat and nobody likes to feel that pain the next day. And you don't see the results immediately, mm-hmm. but if you keep with it and you're consistent, you look back three months, you're like, wow. Then six months, you're like, oh my goodness. And yeah. then one year you're like, whoa. And it's the same way with us spiritually. If we just keep at it and we keep consistent, I tell our church and I tell our ladies and I'll say, you know, there's no place called there spiritually that you're trying to get to, to where you glow in the dark. That's not our goal. And perfection is not our goal, Mm -hmm. but it's an upward call. You know, the, the, the Bible says that we press on toward the mark toward the high call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's just an upward call. It's a press every day. If you can get up every day and press just a little more to be more like Jesus, then you're doing what he wants you to do. And it's the same way with our brokenness. It's the same way, whether it's marriage or a drug addiction or porn addiction, or, you know, there's no upward place that you get to where you glow in the dark and there's never a temptation and that you never fall. You know, scripture says even a righteous man falls seven times, but you get back up up. again, just get back up. And so, yeah, I encourage you if you're struggling in your marriage and, and I don't believe there is a marriage out there that doesn't have issues and trouble. I want to strangle Ron sometime today. I want to put the pillow <laughs> over his head in the night and watch his feet dangle. You know, oh just my like, gosh. <laughs> yes. So I, I mean, there are days that, yeah. that, that I want to do that. I just like, I don't like you today. And there's days yeah. he's like, you're, I just don't even want to see you either. Yeah. So yeah. And I'm like, well, boy, bye, boy, bye, get out yeah. of here. So So there's no perfect marriage at all. And I think that's another thing that we we've been lied to that, you know, you can have this marriage where you never have conflict and you never have struggles. And that is not true. I do believe that God designed marriage, not necessarily to make us happy, but to make us holy. Hey, come on. That's a good word. That's so good. Hope you mentioned that um, a lot of your life was full of performance. And I know in the church, you know, we're all of us are pretty good at performing if we could be honest here. And I believe oftentimes the reason why we perform a lot is number one is to keep up the image. But number two, I think a lot of it is linked to fruitfulness, right? Um, especially in our church, the thing that I used to battle with is, you know, I got to be super fruitful. I got to be fruitful. I got to be fruitful and multiply because if I don't look this way, I'm a bad Christian. Mm -hmm. If I don't attend every service, I'm a bad Christian. And I remember for my journey, it would be so bad because I used to perform so much that I would deal with depression, severe anxiety. Mm, I would be in and out of the ER and I just, I was just so performance driven. And my question for you is what can we do as the body of Christ? What can we do to help people navigate through this spirit of performance? What could we do so we don't end up in anxiety and making bad decisions and allow our emotions to get the best of us? What would you say? I think, you know, I think what we're doing today is so important. It's, 
it's being really truthful and honest Mm -hmm. with the people who follow us that no, we are not perfect. You know, I I struggle with my kids, my kids over here are driving me nuts. My kids, you know, my marriage, you know, is this or that, or, you know, I got it wrong today. It's just being honest. I, I believe that we have in the pulpit, in leadership, yeah. for so long, we have presented this perfect, I'm so holy, Yeah, I got it all together, my family sits around and hold hands and sings kumbaya, <laughs> and I'm such an amazing homeschool mother, and I bake the cookies, and I all my laundry's perfect, and look at my garden, and mm-hmm. And I think we just present all of these things to people yeah. and and it and it hurts them more than helps them because yeah. they're seeing something that they're like, man, my life don't look like that. Yeah, exactly. And man, my my kids just painted all over the wall, you know, just yeah. and my husband didn't come home last night. And yeah. and what's wrong with me? Because my house don't look like that. Yeah. And and we and I think we have we've done it with the right heart, trying to give people something to aim for and to show them what they can have. And people do want to see something better than them so that they can follow that. I understand all that, but I still think we have got to show our withered hand. Exactly. You know, we've got to show them, you know, that we struggle, but we're still on the upward call. We're still on the upward, you know, we're still pressing. We're still pressing. We're not throwing in the towel, uh, but we're not perfect. And, you know, I I just did that yesterday. I did a Instagram live yesterday with greasy hair pulled up in a ponytail and sitting there with no makeup in my pajamas on. Mm. And I'd never done that before. And, and I didn't even plan on doing it. I was sitting there paying bills and just, (laughs) just trying to seriously, I was sitting there. I was supposed to be at the office yesterday. And I just Monday, I had a, I had a day like I've not had in a very, very long time. I've been running and running and preaching and conferences and we're on the West coast and the East coast. We're on the West coast, 20 days and the East coast, 10 days every month for both campuses. And, and I just was so physically exhausted Sunday night. I started with a migraine, which is rare for me. I never get sick or have migraines and it lasted through the night and I was nauseous. So Monday I was in the bed all day and by Monday night, I thought, you know what, this is just sheer exhaustion. This is what exhaustion feels like. And so I didn't even come into work yesterday, which is not like me at all either. And I just said, you know, Ron, I'm going to have to stay home and get my feet up under me today. And so I process by cleaning, I process by organizing, and I turn on the worship music really loud in my house. And I got in my pantry because I'm OCD like that. And I wanted everything just organized and hey, sure everything in its right. <laughs> I'm the so, same way. I love it. It's, in a it, just, it just makes me feel so good to get yes. in there and see that my Clorox is here and my Lysol's there. And I got, yes. Go. And all of my cat, my uh, cans are turned the right way. Yes. And, love it. Oh, I just feel like, yes, I'm yes. so successful. <laughs> Nobody knows it. <laughs> So I did that yesterday and I was sitting in there and my computer's in the pantry. I have a little desk in there. And I said, you know what? I am going to show these people what, 
what it, what I look like right now today. Yeah. And I'm going to tell them what I went through yesterday. Come on. That's and good. you would not believe that thing yeah. blew up like crazy. Wow. Just letting people know they're like, that's why we love you, Pastor. You show us the real, the raw, the ugly, yeah. and, and you let us know when you are struggling too, because we all do. Yeah. And I think that's what would help so many people if the people with the microphone exactly would take the mask off and and you know, just take the pain off and all the good, yeah, nice, fancy stuff they're sh we're showing and and just be real. And let Absolutely. people know that we're touchable and we're 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 personable too. Absolutely, because especially in the world we live in today, transparency is actually attractive. Yeah. And I think yeah. oftentimes people don't think that they don't think well if if if, if I don't sh if I do show them this, maybe they might think something or they might say something. And I think going back to we were talking a little bit about performance. I think the struggle with performance is not just the transparency, but what comes along with it. And it's the fear of the criticism. It is. It's the fear of the critiques. Hope, how are you able to traffic through that in your mind? Because I know in your mind, you know, uh, mega pastor, mega church, you know, well-known. I know those thoughts somehow probably had to creep in your mind. Okay. Like if you are transparent though, people are going to know, and what are they going to say about you? You yeah. know, what's going to be written about you? How were you able to traffic through that? Because I think what happens to a lot of people is they allow the fear of criticism to get yeah. the best of them. Or if they're honest with their partner, maybe their partner might leave them or maybe everything crashes yeah. down. How did you traffic through that? I knew there would be loss. Um, mm. I knew it, but I had reached a place in my life where I could not live like that anymore. I just, wow, so good. I thought, you know, at that point, I thought the relationship that I was in, that either I was going to kill them uh -huh. because I knew that was the only way to get out of it yeah. or they were going to kill me or something bad wow. was going to happen. And wow. And I just, I just came to a place of, I can't live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. Um, something terrible is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I just mustered up the guts yeah. to, to say, you know, there's going to be losses. I don't know what my life's going to look like, but I wow. can't do this anymore either. So wow. I came to, when I came to Ron and then I knew, you know, he immediately told our church that he Oh had no God. plans for reconciliation whatsoever. Wow. He came to our church the next Sunday and told them, you know, what had happened and that he had no plans for reconciliation, but thank God that we had taught our Ooh. church. Right. Yeah, and they go. were praying on the, hey, end, you know, you know, Come when on. he stood up, when he stood up and said that I went back and watched the video of it and um, <laughs> 700, 700 clubs doing a documentary on it next oh, month. Wow, and they're coming here. And so they wanted beautiful. that film. They wanted that uh, footage yeah. and the whole church was totally silent, but I could see people's mouths saying the devil is a lie. <laughs> devil is a lie. So our church that dug so in and, yeah. and prayed and believed. And so it, and then Ron is all in the book too. Ron, God wrestled with Ron. He, I mean, he went almost two months saying we were not reconciling. Oh my God. And, and so I went to this place with no hope of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. But I remember praying. I said to God, I said, Lord, even if you never use me again, 
If I'm never in ministry again, Lord, if you never give me my ministry back or my family back or my marriage back, God, just heal me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Come on. Lord, just fix me. Yes. And as I submitted that to God, it was about a month into it. I started getting stronger and God started to heal me and, and the light bulb started coming on as to some of the whys and started getting some healing. I got tenacious and I said, okay, devil. Come on. I said, now I know I told the Lord, if you never, if you never, if you never just heal me, well, he's already healing me. So God, let me tell you what else I want. I want my family back. I want my marriage back. I want it all back, God, because you're not going to do this just in me. And then my marriage is going to be broken. God. And then I put it on God. I said, God, this is for your namesake. I said, your name went down when this went down. I said, but Lord, for your namesake, I want you to resurrect my life and my family and my marriage and our ministry. And so about two months into it, Ron tells the story of wrestling with God. God Mm. came and wrestled with him all night long and told him not to abandon me. And he told God, no, he said, God, I can't do that. I cannot, I cannot tell her I won't abandon her. Mm. And that day I had gotten so discouraged because I kept praying and believing and Mm -hmm. fasting. I lost 23 pounds in 30 days. Now, clearly you can see I'm healed. (laughs) I lost 23 pounds in 30 days. So um, I'm praying, believing, fasting, writing all three of our children letters every single day and mailing them at the end of the week, telling them what God's done in my life and telling them to believe and don't listen to daddy and that daddy's telling them don't believe for a miracle, but I'm telling you to believe for a miracle. Come on. And, but I had gotten so discouraged because Ron was just still saying, no, 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 sign these papers, sign these papers. And I wouldn't do it. And I'd gone on a walk that day and I really was at the lowest place at that point. And I remember going around the corner, it was this little country road. And I said, God, if, if you could just send a truck around to kill me today, that would really be good because I don't think I can do this anymore. And in about five minutes, I just kept walking. And then I saw this little daisy pop up. It was sitting there in the middle of an asphalt road. And then I saw this beautiful bird fly out of this old barren field. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, if I care for that flower, and if I care for, I mean, the the literal scripture, you know, the sparrow and the flower. Yeah. Yeah. He said, how much more do yeah. I care for you, Hope? Come on. How so much good. more am I going to take care of you? Yes. And I picked that flower up and I put it to my heart and I turned around and I started walking. It's like a breath of fresh air just hit mm-hmm. me. And then the pastor came walking toward me. He said, Hope, I've been looking for you. He said, Ron's called and uh-huh. he wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Because every time he called, it wasn't good. We were fighting. So I just... I got myself, I said, I got to go upstairs and just get myself together, prepared for this phone call. And then I went up there and I got in the word. I said, God, you got to show me something. And he took me to the scripture where David was wanting to buy the field. Yeah. Yeah. To make an offering. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and the man said here, he said, no, you're the king. You can have the field. I'm going to give it to you. I'm even going to give you, you know, what to slaughter. You can slaughter it for free. And David said, I will not offer to the Lord anything that does not cost me. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I God, what time. are you saying to me? What are you? I've given everything. God, I've lost everything. And then he reminded me, he said, Hope, you've got a thousand dollars in your wallet because Ron had frozen the credit cards. He'd frozen my bank account. I had been fired. I was no longer getting a salary. Mm-hmm. I had been removed from all the paperwork of the church, of wow. the founder of the church. I had no insurance. I had nothing. But before I left, I had a thousand dollars in my wallet. Now, what's a thousand dollars going to do? Yeah. I mean, Sounds what's like it going to get me? <laughs> you know, yeah. but I kept it. It was so precious to me because it's all I had, yeah. you know, and I thought, you know, I got to have something. And he said, you've given me everything except that. So I said, God, you're asking me for all that I have. Right. And he said, yeah. So I took that money and I slid it across the table. I went downstairs and I slid it across the table to Lee and Denise. And I told them what had happened. And I said, this is all I have. It's all I have left. I have nothing. I said, so I'm dependent on God. And I'm really, truly believing God for a miracle. Ryan calls and he says to me, Hope tells me about his night. And he says, I've been wrestling with God all night. And God told me not to abandon you. Oh man. Made me cry. That's all. <laughs> Listen, that's all I needed. I yeah. said, oh, I did the ugly cry. I bent down on the table. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said, he said, he said, Hope, what's are you all right? I said, I got my miracle. I got my mirror. He said, wait a minute. Now wait a minute. He said, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks oh like. I don't know. He said, I don't know if that means we're getting back together. I don't know. I'm just telling you what God made me call you and tell you. I said, that's all I needed. I said, I'm good. I got my word. I said, let's go. And from that day forward, our whole life started turning. This truly is a beautiful disaster. (laughs) (laughs) We started dating. He called up there to Lee and Denise and would ask permission to come take me on dates. We we listen, we were in the middle of nowhere. And this is in Hiddenite, North Carolina, a little piece of nothing town. And the closest town was 30 minutes away, which had a red lobster, a Taco Bell, and a Walmart. So if our first date, he came and picked me up and we went to Red Lobster and it was December, the first week of December. And we went and held hands and we walked around Walmart and we looked at the toys because at the time we only had one grandchild, but now we have five. I mean, our family's like, just add water. It's gremlins. They just keep multiplying. (laughs) And so we walked around Walmart and held hands and the most simple thing was the most precious date I can ever remember having with my husband. Wow. That's so beautiful. And God. so we literally started over. We started over. Jeez. That is so beautiful. That is, I absolutely, absolutely love your story. Um, before we wrap up, I would just love to know if you have a word of encouragement um, that you could share with our audience, maybe somebody that's going through a season of brokenness and needs some hope today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I wrote that book, The Most Beautiful Disaster, and I'm in the middle of writing my next book, and it's called this, and this is my word of encouragement. It's called, If You Don't Fight, Then You Don't Win. Wow. Love it. Becoming great one battle at a time. Yes. Because that is how we become great. That's how we become stronger is when the pressure's put on us. That's how we see what's really in us. And if you don't fight, you don't win. Yeah, absolutely. If if you're sitting there feeling like you're drowning and you're feeling like everything's going wrong and, and, you know, you'll never make it. If you don't get up, you're not going to make it. 
Yeah. You got to get up and start swinging. You say it's too far. It's too far gone. No, it's not. It's too far gone if you don't fight. And my life would have been over too if I had not chosen the hard road, the humiliating road, the road where everybody knew everything. My name was smeared everywhere, but I didn't care because I don't live for those people. I said, God, do whatever you want to do in me. And that's the attitude you've got to have. You got to say it. Listen, I'm not living for these people. I'm not living for people's applause. I don't care what they say about me. Listen, I don't even read it. I'm sure there's probably horrible things out there, but I don't care. I don't read it. I don't live for them. Come on. Come I go on. to I go to where I'm celebrated, not where I'm tolerated. Hey, Come on. So, preaching. And, Come and, on. Yes. And whoever wants to hear this life-giving message is who I'm going to give it to. And that's what Jesus promised me. The first week in my whole healing journey was Genesis 50, 20, the Joseph story. Yes. What you meant for evil. God meant for good. So could it be that this thing that you're going through right now in your life, God's ordained it for your good, Thank you for your good. Yes. Listen, what we think is for evil, God is using for our good, for his glory. But here's the most beautiful part of that scripture. It's the comma. The last part, it says, and for the salvation of many. Yep. Yeah. God wants to use what you're going through so that once you get through it, you can turn around and grab other people and bring them out of darkness yeah. into the light. That's yeah. what our testimony is all about. Come yeah. on, press through so that you can help somebody else. Come on. That is so, so beautiful. God, that was so yeah. good. Can you just tell our viewers how they could connect with you on social media? If you have a website. I do. It's hopecarpenter.com. Pretty easy. Instagram is uh, pastorhope.carpenter. I have a YouTube channel. You know I, what everybody, you can Google it, you can find it. But the yep. main thing is just, just pursue Jesus. Yeah. Just Amen. pursue Jesus. He Come loves on. you so much. And, and listen, no matter what you've been through, what you're going through, he loves you. He wants to meet you right where you are. And you are so beautiful and so special to him. Don't believe what people tell you about yourself. You got to talk to yourself about yourself and you got to say what God says about you, not what people say about you and not what you've been through. Come don't on. worry about me. Listen, don't worry about me. Just follow Jesus. Hey, come, come on. on. Hope Pastor Hope is preaching. It was such a blessing to have you. Friends, you can get her book wherever books are sold. The most beautiful disaster. Yes. This is a book you want to dive in deeper. You want to get to know just everything about the brokenness, the restoration process. This is a book that we all need in our lives. It's going to inspire you, encourage you. Pick one up for a friend that might be in need. Mm. Um, this book will bless you. The most beautiful disaster. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Let's Talk Purity podcast with Brittany and Richard Delamora. We love you guys so much and we will see you next week. God bless you. Thanks for checking out Let's Talk Purity with Richard and Brittany De La Mora. Tune in next time for another powerful conversation about purity. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify podcast app from the Apple and Google Play stores and at edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.